Hey guys, I was just with Thomas from the Yes Theory. We had a very nice conversation. We got to know him more, his personal story, his life purpose, where he's at at this stage in his life. Uh, and I really hope you enjoy it. Hey, Thomas. How are you? How are you really doing? Me? Mm. I'm doing good. It's, uh, it's the American election today, so I've been a little bit glued at my computer. Uh, I'm not American, but I'm invested in the American election since I it's live there. It's all over my social media. Dude. Yeah, so that's a little stressful. Um, other than Why that, would it be stressful for you um, if you're not American? Because I live there, I do feel very invested in the politics in the country and I care about the environment. So I care about representatives that, that are going to protect the environment. Mm. And, um, and then, yeah, I just like, I don't like conflict. I just want people to get along. Like I'm more of a peacemaker than a troublemaker. And uh, so whenever I just like, especially like I moved to America and then since I moved there, I feel like the country has been feeling very divided and it like, it hurts me. Like I just want people to get along and I want people to be able to have conversations, but it just doesn't feel like it's there. Mm. Um, and genuinely I have like empathy for, for everybody just like on both sides that are like, feel so misunderstood and like mad at each other. Mm. Um, so yeah. And, and it's, it's hard like not to care about it when you live there. You know, like it affects you. Like you see it every day on the streets and things like that. So, yeah. So that's one side of you. Yeah. Other the than rest, that. yeah, I'm in, a, in an interesting time because I uh, left the U.S. about a month ago. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to, when I'm going to be able to go back because my American visa, I need to get it like stamped and renewed. And there's like no American embassies open right now. Mm. So it's a little bit stressful because I basically left my team and I said, I'm going to go film and make videos on my own for a while. Um, and I just came back from Iraq and Afghanistan, which was, was one of the most eye-opening trips that I've ever done in terms of empathy for people in a part of the world that's just highly being portrayed as one way. And I got to meet all of the people that just are living their lives in those beautiful countries. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was a little bit of a tricky decision for my family. Uh, going to Afghanistan was very stressful because there, there are risks, you know. It is a country that is still actively in war, um, mm. and it's the first time I've ever been to a place like it. So some people in my family were not very happy, uh, and still I haven't like fully resolved that. So uh, again, as I said earlier, like I'm not somebody that likes conflict, so whenever that comes up, I'm like, ah. Oh, that sucks. Like, I didn't want to be in the middle of that. I didn't want to cause any of this, mm. you know? It's just like, I felt connected to my storytelling mission to go to... But you still do it. This part of the world. Even yeah. Even though you don't like conflict, you're a bit stubborn. I am stubborn. Mm. When I have like a gut feeling about something, uh, like I had a very strong gut feeling about wanting to get involved with YouTube, even though I had like no filmmaking experience. When I graduated college, I just had like a really strong feeling that this is something that I should try. Um, and it was like, I, I thought it through. So it's, it's more than just like a gut feeling, like, cause I'm not an impulsive person. Neither uh, am I. So yeah. I'm like a very strategic, organized, like I make my decisions by evaluating all of the alternatives. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that the Afghanistan decision was a tricky one, but the, the reasons for going outweighed the risks of not going. And I mean, I'm out safely now. Um, nothing super crazy happened. Um, so 
my intuition was was right and you know I'm, I'm still really happy I did it and the yeah. rest will will get resolved how old are you now 27 okay yeah. and um, you said you don't like conflict yeah why what makes you okay to be more um, descriptive yeah most people don't like conflict totally. unless they have issues and they like drama yeah uh, but you don't like it a bit more than yeah. the default yeah why, why do you think so I don't know I've always been somebody that like I absorb a lot of emotions of people around me um, mm. like I remember being a kid like six or seven if in the courtyard when we're playing if I see a kid crying I, I can't just keep playing I don't know I like I it would always like disturb me and I would be like what's what's happening like I, I when I would go talk to him I'd be like what's happening like what are you what's going on you know even if I didn't know them I just it's uh I just if I cease a very strong emotion I like it like absorbs completely and I think that's why I'm I've been attracted to storytelling because I like creating emotions in mm. within stories yeah and I like pulling emotions out of people and out of places um, and figuring out like what is the what is the core to this and what is the light in this story that I can bring to people um, I think a lot of the stories that we hear now especially in the news are very negative and I would like to be the counterbalance of that that show people the positive aspects of a place or of people and uh, I think there needs to be more peacemakers in the world and mm. uh I've been finding more and more purpose in my storytelling through that. Um, okay. But yeah, I'm not entirely sure where it comes from. It's just kind of always been like that. Um, we'll find out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is turning into therapy. <laughs> How was your childhood, though? It was great. Yeah? Yeah. The um, main thing I struggled with is I grew up with dyslexia. Mm-hmm. And I've never really talked about it publicly. So this is like my first time. I'm not embarrassed by it at this point. But... Uh, I was very far behind in school uh, from like the age of six to like 15. Um, I was in the bottom three students in the class every year. Um, so that was stressful. And like showing up to school every day, I felt, uh, so I grew up, my family is Swedish, but I grew up in France and the French school system is very strict and rigid. And like the school that I went to, it's an amazing school, but it's very competitive. Mm. So grades really matter. And at the end of the year, they assess everything, you know, and they sit you down and you're like six years old and you have all these grades and like math and all this stuff. And, you know, I didn't even understand what it meant, but there was like a clear undertone of like bad grades means you're not intelligent. And then there's the intelligent students and there's non-intelligent students. And before I even understood like self-awareness, you know, I was getting this image of myself as like someone not intellectual because all of my other friends are smarter than me. Hmm. And uh, it's like, it's hard not to let that like nag at you. And that became like my identity. I was like, I'm just not a good student. That's just what I am. No matter how hard I try, I'm always going to be slower than everybody else because I can't read as fast as, as my like friends. Um, so it required like more effort to like get the same amount of information in uh, than anyone else. Mm. And uh, I don't know when I when I was 15, I had like a a moment with a teacher where he was like the nice teacher. You know, he was like the teacher that everybody knew you could talk in class, like you can get away with anything. You know, so I wasn't worried. I'm sitting in class, the whole everyone's distracted, but then he just snaps and he screams only at me. Mm. He's like, Thomas, what are you doing? And I'm just like, I just freeze, you know, just like a deer crossing the road. Like, whoa, 
And then he just goes on this rant around how like he can tell that I want to do better, but I'm not listening. Like, you know, like it's out of everybody in the class, I should be paying attention and all this stuff. And he was like, you're never going to hit your full potential if you just like get distracted like this in class. Like, you know, you need to focus more than the others. And I want to see that effort in you. Hmm. Um, and I had a couple of other moments like that. That moment, though. Yeah. Was it a positive thing for you or a very negative? It's one of those moments that is very hurtful in the moment. And then you walk away from it and it, it became something positive. Because even though I think in the moment he was just frustrated by the class as a whole and he kind of apologized later, um, I think he, he did have some kind of a point, right? Or, which was true, which is like, I can't afford to be as distracted as everyone else in class. And uh, that wasn't the only thing that triggered it, but it was like um, just like a series of things that happened and like a lot of support, especially from my mom to help me just like she helped me at night with my homework and just she taught me mind maps as a way to like learn and memorize. Uh, I don't know if it's even a thing. I just wrote it. Mind map, I just made it up. I didn't know it's a thing. It's no. a thing that you can, so it's like a circular way of, of learning, which isn't like just line by line. Okay. So this is how also how I brainstorm YouTube video ideas. I use it in so many different ways. Okay. Um, but yeah, that moment just kind of, that and a series of other things just led me to like, okay, I think I need to like, this is my time to like switch into gear. And I just went into hyper-focus mode, uh, just studied a lot on all of my different subjects. And which, which age are you referring to? I'm 15, 16 at this point. Mm. And I had this moment where I, I'm in the train and I'm driving by uh, the closest university to my school, which is where everybody ends up if they don't study. So it's the university, like it looks like, like a communist Soviet <laughs> building, you know, like the dark gray, mm. it was raining that day. And I had this vision of like, if I don't do well in school, I'm going to have to settle for whatever I can get, which is probably this school. And I don't want that. Hmm. And so there was like this drive of like not ending up at the bottom. And I, from like 15 to 17, I just became like obsessed with school. And I just like literally started memorizing everything. And one hmm. of the things that I did was I, I, I realized that I didn't know what it was like to have to be an A student. So there was this one girl in my class, her name was Daniela, very generous girl. And I went up to her and I said, can I get your papers? She is always A in everything. And she was generous enough to give me her like A papers after we were graded and I photocopied them. And I went home at night and I wrote them 10 times. And every test I would go and I'd be like, can I photocopy your tests? She'd be like, yeah. Because I wanted to feel like what it's like to write an A student's uh, essay. And the wow. more I started to read them, I was like, I can do this. Like, she's not that, it, it wasn't as far from, you know, what it's I was doing. Little, yeah, it was like adjustments. It little was like, edge. Oh, I noticed she's quoting a lot of authors, which demonstrates that she's memorized the material. And she's writing in very clear language. You know, I had really bad handwriting. So I started to put more effort in that. And she structured her paragraphs this way. And then I started to ask her, like, how do you study? And then she showed me her like notes and then I photocopied her notes and I started to do my notes exactly the same way. Mm. And then I started to get A's bit by bit by bit. And uh, I finished in the top 4% of France in the end. Wow. In my grades. Yeah. What so, a switch. What a switch. Like literally bottom three in the class to top of the class. And um, so that was like a very defining, you asked me, this is a long answer to how was your childhood. but Take your time. 
it's a, it was a very defining moment for me because I got to prove to myself that with the right effort and with the right strategy that might not be, you know, it might be a little bit outside the box, I can do it. Hmm. And so... At a very critical age too, you figured that out. Yeah. So I feel very lucky that I had that experience because I knew going up to picking up my grade that my faith in my own ability, you know, as much as you don't want to define it by external factors, like I had banked a lot on like, I hope this works because, you know, it's, it's, I've tried some kind of unconventional methods and, and I, I'm not, I was historically not an A student. And so then rolling up to the day of, uh, just getting my A like on a piece of paper was just so surreal. Mm. You know, I sat down and I looked at it and I was just so proud of myself. And uh, yeah, it was the first time academically that I had like actually done well. And uh, that whole like idea of who I was and who I am now like was completely shifted. And I still have some insecurities around intelligence. Like I'm still, I noticed that there's moments where I feel like I need to overcompensate and maybe like, you know, in certain Proof. situations, yeah, I have to like show that I'm not stupid. And less and less as I grow up and I become like aware of it, you know, like I would notice there's certain people that I would interact with that would make me anxious. Hmm. I was like, why? Like one of our mentors, one of the smartest people I've ever met. And I realized it's because he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. I'm like, I have to get this smart person's approval to me. be on par yeah. also. Yeah. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> you know, like it's not a competition and it's not like he's not judging my intelligence, but it's yeah. just this idea that I'm always trying to figure out where am I in this, like, how am Were I? Were you categorized as, uh, like you said, whether stupid or dumb or not smart kid amongst other students, like, or they didn't care? It's kind of like an unwritten thing, I guess. And so I had to, I had to take extra, so the... The teachers in some of the classes make you um, come extra hours if you're not doing well. Mm. And those hours are before everybody else comes. Ah. And so, and you're in the same classroom right after. So they see you. So, so when all the students walk in, they already see that I've been in there. And there was only three of us out of, you know, 32 that are in that class. Mm. So every time you're like, kind of like. Yeah, hide myself. Yeah. And so. Even if there was nobody that was like laughing directly at me for not doing well, it was just like an, it was just like embarrassing to be in there, you know. Yeah. And like it was me and two other kids that aren't even mildly trying, you know what I mean? And I was the only one trying in that room, and I was like, "What? It's not fair." <laughs> yeah, why am I doing here? You know? And um, and it's sometimes how we make it a bigger deal. We think people are judging us totally. this much, but they have more things in life. They judge us this much and they forget. Totally. But we create that embarrassing shame. Yep. It's a lot of a feeling of shame, like, you know, should I show myself? Totally. Oh, here we go again. Yeah. But nobody really cares as much as we care. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And your parents, would? how was the relationship with them? Uh, and I mean it in a way specifically that you had these challenges in school, which is a very crucial part of our upbringing. Mm -hmm. So were your parents the balance of support when here it's not really working out in the beginning? Yeah, so my, my mom was super supportive and my dad was too. Um, I think my mom had more empathy for my dyslexia or like understanding it more. Um, I think my dad was a little bit like pushing me to like do, do better. Uh, which definitely contributed to me wanting to do better. And he sat with me as well in the summers. We would do like extra 
mm. stuff in between. Uh, and he was very dedicated to like helping me with that. And uh, uh, my mom was very just understanding of like, okay, I think he needs to learn differently than the other students. Um, That's nice. So, yeah. And then as I started to do better, they just became less and less involved, which was actually nice. Mm -hmm. I was just like, okay, you know, you know how you need to learn now and like you go off and do it. Uh, But when I was very young and needed a lot of help, uh, which for my mom was kind of overwhelming because I had two uh, younger siblings too that also needed help, you know, and like if she wasn't there, I would not do my homework. Like there's Mm -hmm. no, no chance. Your dad is competitive. Yeah, I would say so. Mm. Him and I played a lot of sports together. He's an entrepreneur as well. Now I say that because of the way you described him. Yeah. He wants you just to get on with it, but he wants to understand that it's different for you, but he wants his boy to do well also, you know? Totally. Yeah. To get over the hurdle. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so my dad is the youngest of four brothers, and his oldest brother is 10 years older than him. Mm. So my dad always had to fight for... You know, when, when food was on the table, he was the last to get the food, you know. Mm. So he was he's always been the smallest having to like, you know, punch up. My brother used to do that with my my third brother with my second brother. So he was much shorter. Uh, he would jump to punch. Totally. To That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. So um, I think my dad was just has just always had to p- compete with his brothers. Yeah. And so it's a it's it's a loving competition. But. It's a competition. It is a competition, mm. yeah. And uh, I've had to learn to... I grew up just... I don't know if it was with my dad or if it's just like a natural thing, but I definitely grew up feeling very competitive as well. Mm. And then as I grow older, I feel less and less interested in like... Interesting. The, just feeling competitive. Like I, I like to compete with myself more than Correct. more than anything. Just thinking about like... How can I improve as a filmmaker? How can I improve as a storyteller? How can I increase the impact instead of I have to resist looking at other channels on YouTube and like being like, why are, why are these guys doing so well? You know, and then I'm like, OK, forget about that. We're in our lane. We're doing things differently. And this is the only thing that I want to compare myself to. Like, are we doing better than yesterday? It's so funny you say that, Thomas, because um, I hardly ever look at I have a few businesses in different genres I hardly ever look at competition Mm. I don't follow them I don't want somebody to send it to me I'm like it doesn't matter Mm. how can we keep getting better how can we keep evolving Mm. yes you can learn you can learn a tip a trick sure yeah benchmarking right yeah but I'm I'm so not obsessed with it and the other point that you said is you compete with yourself right another thing that I like to discuss with people is how it logically doesn't make sense to compete against another because it's not apples versus apples. Right. If you're a basketball player and a guy is 6'5 and you're 5'9, what are you competing against? But why don't you compete with yourself and be the best version of mm-hmm. yourself? Mm. That's all you can control. Totally. You can't get taller. Yeah. Unless you're wearing heels on a court. I don't know. Yeah. But other than that, yeah. <laughs> focus. And yeah. I think that's, we get so dragged into. Social media does that too, because yeah, you yeah. subconsciously are consuming all of these lives. And you're like, oh, why him? Why this car? Why that? Mm. And why this clothes? He looks happy subconsciously or consciously. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. You take that and you think, me, mm. how can I challenge me? Totally. Um, 
you you uh, had passion shack passion snack yeah passion snack or shack a snack passion snack wow you went way back you yeah. had the uh, project 30 yep are these all the roads that led to yes theory i think so mm. yeah in some strange way like so the goal passion snack was the first kind of business that i tried to start it was an app to help people find the things that they love doing in any city so the idea was like so you move to sydney australia tomorrow then you can connect with the filmmaker community there or the volleyball community or whatever it is that you do and immediately make friends hmm. um that was kind of like my idea for it is just like how can we connect people through their interests based on where they are very nice um and i think in some ways like Yes Theory is trying to achieve that as well. Like our community is very engaged. Uh, we have a Facebook group that hosts meetups all the time. Even during the pandemic, they're doing like these huge Zoom calls uh, that's called like friend speed dating. So they're just meeting friends on Zoom, like people from all over the world, all connecting and asking each other questions and getting to know each other. And so I think in some ways, like the idea of wanting to connect people Uh, ended up happening through our community now with Yes Theory, mm. um, and Project Thirty was the, the the start of Yes Theory basically. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. It, it was definitely like the a seed, and then I pivoted and decided that though tech is interesting to me, um, mm. I think filmmaking is where I had a feeling I would find more fulfillment. And, and have you? Yeah. Yeah. Why did you call it Yes Theory? Um, maybe you've talked about it, but I don't know the answer. Not really. So basically, when we moved to California, this was a year after starting. Uh, initially, we called it Project 30. Then we called it Generation Why Not. And then when we moved to California, mm. we were like, it's really long. And people called us the Why Not guys, the generation, the Gen Y guys. Like, it was no but structure. Why, okay, let's start with the first one. Why Project 30? So Project 30, the goal was to do 30 things we've never done before in okay. 30 days and make a video about it every single day. So it was like a month of getting out of our comfort zone and documenting it. So it was mm. both a filmmaking challenge for me because I was editing all the videos. So it was like, can I edit a video every day for 30 days? And then can we come up with 30 experiences that get us out of our comfort zone? And where is that going to leave us at the end of the day? Yeah, I was thinking, what happens after? You have to find another 30? So after that, we just kind of, we didn't really have a fledged, full-fledged out plan. The idea was that it was like an experiment. It mm. was like, let's see what happens, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and the unexpected product was a new friendship. Like, I didn't know Matt or Amar before starting, or Darren, who was one of the original founders. And by the end of the 30 days, we felt like we had known each other for a lifetime. Nice. Because we shared like this. Experiences. Yeah, experiences. Absolutely. And we had this creative project that we were forming like, live you know so it's it very exciting and thrilling in so many ways um and then we and changed, then changed the name to why not generation why not so the idea was we're generation y the generation uh, before gen z and uh, we just thought like why not like challenging the status quo kind of mm. questioning because our at that point in time we felt very connected with like why not like try something different after college instead of immediately getting a job yeah, why not so why not and so that, that that idea felt very present and then when we moved to california we didn't have the instagram handle we didn't have the youtube handle like there's so many things missing so we were like okay it's probably a good idea to rebrand before we really start uh, uh producing content again hmm. and so we uh 
we felt like we had landed on an this was this is an idea. We we're like this is not a concrete like I'm not we're not pretending like we have all of the answers to life's questions. So mm. we're like, okay, this is a theory what we yeah. have. And then our mentor said, whatever you choose, it should have yes in it. Yes is a very like shareable and powerful word. Uh, and, and like and then we just kind of tried a thousand alternatives. We didn't land on yes theory right away, but then those two words lined up and. It was one of those moments where we just like, the website was available, the Instagram handle was available, the YouTube channel was available, mm. the trademark was available, like everything. And yeah. even some of the worst names that we came up with didn't have that much available. So we were like, the stars within aligned. five minutes, we just bought everything. And uh, we just decided that that was going to be the switch, fully rebranded everything, and then launched. Mm. And since then, we haven't looked back. Um The first thing that made my eyes um, sparkle <laughs> is the words, <laughs> why not? Yeah. Because I can relate to it so much, mm. Thomas. And I'll, I'll share a personal story, if it even yeah, matters. Yeah, I would love that. Um, one of my businesses is a hair salon. I'm a mechanical engineer by background, so everything I do is cool. irrelevant to what I'm supposed to be doing, mm. right? Mm. So I remember a staff member comes to me and... Um, She says, uh, you know, you're doing Bukhash Brothers. It's, it's a good, you know, digital agency. You're, and one of my friends uh, told me, she comes to me, she says that somebody told her mm. that, you know, Anas is doing well in his uh, Bukhash Brothers thing. Why is he, why does he even want to open a hair salon? So I just look at her and like, why the fuck not? That's it. That was my answer. <laughs> That's so good. Because I was like, you know what? I'll give it a shot and I'm my best shot. And if it doesn't work, it's okay. I know I tried. Right. And I tried well. I didn't try half-assed. And if it, does, if it works out, great. But it always bothered me, Thomas, how... And I remember talking on Instagram about this. We are so labeled and boxed in one dimension, but human beings are not mm. one-dimensional. Yeah. You could be a filmmaker, a marketeer, a violin player, mm. a footballer, and a singer. You can do so many things. A doctor can be... Uh, playing at a jazz bar at the end of the day. Why yeah. not? Yeah. So the two words, why not, I think are so underrated. Totally. But if we just take, like, I want now your next t-shirt to be why not? Because totally. if you just have that mindset, yeah. that's it. Just, you know, why not? Not why. Why not? Because mm. everybody says why. Oh, why are you doing this? Right. Why did you even bother going to Iraq? Right. Why did you bother uh, pushing harder at school, Thomas? You know, right. it's okay. You had an excuse. Right. You're dyslexic. Use it. Right. Nobody's going to judge you. And you're like, why not? Mm-hmm. Not why. Because why you have a hundred excuses? So I really relate to those uh, two. And then the other point I wanted to make is the yes theory. The word yes here is so attached to why not. Yeah. Because it's yes. Let's try something. Sure, yes. Totally. Same attitude. Yeah, and, and I do agree that a lot of people, I think, limit their own potential because of it. Or like the... potential outcome of their lives because it's like they're either being told that they should be a certain way or that they should go after a certain career and then I think few of us actually pause and wonder like really what they want to do um, and spend too much time thinking like about the reasons why doing it instead of just like as you said why not and then move on and try it mm. and then I think you know that the number one uh, regret on people's deathbed Uh, done by huge research, 
is... I think I read it, I think. Have you heard it? Mm, I read, I think, the whole thing. But okay. There's a video also. Yeah, so it was uh, not living a life true to myself, right? Like, uh, it's like I regret living a life I expected, uh, that, that others expected of me instead of one true to myself. Yeah. And I think because a lot of people, like, are too intimidated by the question of why that they don't listen, ask themselves why not and go for it. And you just try. Yeah. You're not going to die trying. Yeah, in exactly. In most cases, I think. Yeah, you, totally. You just try. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, like, books should be written about these two words, not just a conversation. Mm-hmm. It's such an important attitude to instill in kids. Uh, Baba, I want to, uh, I want to go try polo. Try. Try, my darling, try. Right. Not, no, 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 this is not for your age, and this is not, don't be stupid, just play football, because football is the national. No. Let him try. He comes back, he's like, you know what? I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Okay, you tried though. Now yeah. I respect you. Right, right. I respect your decision. Um, you did things like you and the guys. Yep. So, so I give credit to all of you. Yeah. You did things like the bungee jump with Will Smith. Yeah. Which for a lot of people, maybe when you started, they're like, don't even bother. He's too totally. important. He's too popular. He gets so many messages, etc. Yeah. And by the way, I did the first skydive with Will. It's, no it was way. his first skydive. It was my first skydive. Oh, was it? And it was his first time here. here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. So it's interesting. We have that in oh, common. That's so cool. Experiences with Will Smith. I know. That's amazing. Um, so that you had the random Irish girl going to Japan with you or with yeah. the guys. Yeah. Um, you had the Justin Bieber uh, experiment with the burrito. Yeah. So why these concepts? Yeah. What's the thread? So the thread with the. The idea with the Will Smith idea, the uh, challenging Will Smith to bungee jump out of a helicopter, we were sitting in like our bedroom and we were like, what's a bold idea that we can do, mm. go after, that mm. can get the mainstream kind of people uh, interested in the idea of seeking discomfort? And so we were like, if we're going to reach the mainstream, we have to go after the mainstream. And there was this interesting uh, moment in time where Will Smith had... F- fewer subscribers than we had because he had just launched his YouTube channel. Ah. So he had fewer subscribers than so us. So you would help him. And, uh, well, we thought that, you know, it'd be interesting for him. And then he also, a lot of the videos he was posting was about fear, was about his skydiving experience here yeah. in Dubai with you. And, yeah. and uh, he was just talking a lot about how he's at a point in his life where he wants to challenge the concept of what Will Smith is and stop playing it safe. Hmm. And then uh, Amar had a dream, like literally had a dream about bungee jumping with Will Smith out of a helicopter. Interesting. And then he woke up and he told us about it. And we're like, you're crazy. Like, is it even possible? You know, and we looked it up and a few people in the world have done it. So we decided like, if we're going to try to bridge the gap between just being a YouTube channel and actually reaching into the mainstream, we have to go after the biggest movie star in the world. So we challenged him. And after a week of just complete silence from him, where we basically thought it was over, we're like, okay, it was too crazy. He didn't like it. He ended up responding, and it was one of the craziest moments uh, of our lives. And then um, inviting the, we ended up, as you mentioned, inviting um, a subscriber uh, all the way to Japan with us to join us on a weeks-long trip uh, and adventure in Japan. Mm. And the idea with that was, like, we always want to involve our community. Like we don't want to be on a pedestal. We don't want to seem separated from our community. We want to feel very involved with our community. Now, we can't bring thousands of people on a trip, but we can bring a handful once in a while. And to the, to the best of our ability, and now with corona, we have even less 
like of, of that ability. Our goal this year was to launch a live event series, but we want to show that like, hey, we're just people. You know, we want to bring subscribers with us, and we want to be people to be able to watch and like feel like they could be there as well. You know, and because mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of YouTubers, the more they grow and the more they build an audience the more it feels like there's a disconnect between them and the audience. And the mm-hmm. only moments you see them interacting with their audience is taking photos instead of like just hanging out. And so we thought it could be a cool, cool idea. We're like, we have this amazing trip in Japan. Why not invite someone from the community? Like it's going to cost us a few thousand dollars. We're going to give her an amazing experience. And, uh, and we get to bond with someone in the, in the community. Hmm. And then the Justin Bieber burrito one, I'll admit that it's definitely a, an outlier on our roster. Like out of all the videos we've made, it's definitely the one that we have like, we're, we're so happy that we did it and it put us again in the mainstream. But also it's not the most yes theory moment because- Not on brand fully, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, because everything we do, we try to make it a very positive thing. And it was like positive. Everyone laughed and, and had a laugh. Um, but overall, like it didn't necessarily connect with everything else that we do. Uh, mm. But there was a part of the yesterday message at the end of the day is also to have fun, right? Is to do things that you enjoy, that uh, are interesting experiments, yeah. that like tickle your curiosity. And for us, it was like, it was an interesting intellectual challenge to think about, can we craft a story from scratch, brainstorming with friends that can get into the mainstream and actually be portrayed as something So still real. a why not? Uh, yeah, so it was like a why not moment, you know? Why not so, build something? Exactly. F- for me as a viewer at the time, because it was very viral, Yeah. I did did get to me, and I watched it, and I, the way I saw it was more on brand than off, mm. because I felt it showed how, what's the right word? Silly. Yeah the world can be that they're really bothered by how somebody eats a burrito totally. rather than people not having access to education right. or polluted water or environment. And, and sometimes, but that's the world you're in. You want to know how, where this person is going to have their wedding because they're a celebrity. What is she wearing? What surgery did that person do? Yeah. Which car rims does this? I'm not saying these things are bad. Material is sometimes fun. We all, I like clothes. I like Shoes when I can afford them, right. uh, you know, it's nice. It's nice to buy your mother something, that's you buy your, your father a vacation. There is some beauty to materialism if it's especially to build memories or a nice Ooh, emotion, right? Yeah. To tell somebody you care. Mm. But we also live in a bit too much materialism. Yeah. And something as lame as wallahi it, I say wallah means I swear in Arabic. So <laughs> I, I, like <laughs> eating a burrito here or here or here, does it really matter how that person eats it? It's up to them. I know. To each their it's, own. It is really but silly. that's what I thought the video displayed. Yeah. That where are we putting our focus? Totally. You know? Yeah. I think one thing that we regretted in hindsight was not being like at the end of the video, like now that we have your attention, why aren't you paying attention to this? Mm. You know, that was the only like plot twist. Yeah, the we, conclusion. Because we, we edited that video in like a day and a half because it went viral way faster than we expected and we were busy doing other things. And then we're like, oh my God. Focus here. Like we have to put this out immediately because it's, it's relevant now. Mm. If we put it up next week, people might be like, what? What are you talking about? You know, it's too late. So like a viral moment is happening right now. And we were like, if we release it at the peak of, of, uh, of sustain, the noise, sustain yeah, longer. it's going to throw fuel on the fire. Mm. So we like edited it in a day and a half, just threw it together, pulled like an all-nighter, 
And then we just clicked upload. And then that video also just kind of. Hmm. So I'm getting to know you. Um, why, why do you think Thomas is doing all of this? Not you, Yes Theory. Right. We talked about Yes Theory not because I'm, I, I never talk about work on the show, hardly, hardly. Right. But I talk about Yes Theory because I'm more uh, focused and I have more interest in the reasoning, mm. right? The purpose. Yeah. Why people do things like this. Totally. So now from the Yes to you. Mm-hmm. Why do you think you have this personal drive not to go through the normal route in life and a normal career and a normal career ladder and get your degrees and your PhDs and go on a corporate spectrum? But you have this feeling that I don't like conflict. I don't like that people get only one side of a story. Uh, I want people to get along and I want people to think why not? Mm-hmm. And I want to provoke thought. Mm-hmm. Why? Why Why does it matter so much to you? It's mm. a great question. Um, hmm. I think for me, just the reason why I, I didn't, to answer the first part of the question of why I didn't pursue a corporate kind of career, I had a moment after college where I felt both guilty and incredibly lucky Uh, to not have any student debt. So I was in no rush to get a job. Uh, I had a couple thousand dollars of like savings and I had a part-time job that was just like paying the bills, just like working at a bar, like not glorious at all. There was just enough to like just pay my rent. Mm. And I paused and as I was starting to think about applying to jobs, et cetera, I was like, I'm actually in like this incredibly privileged position where I can make a choice. I actually have the choice to decide what I want to do with my life. And I can spend the next three to four years failing and still only be 25 years old. So then I was like, I feel like I owe it to myself to try. If I don't try and I just settle for a safe job for no real reason, like I just, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. Like I just felt like I have every reason to try, like there's really nothing for me to lose. Uh, Like I don't have a family, I don't have a mortgage, I have no bills to pay other than just taking care of myself. And I have friends that are willing to host me on their couch, which is perfectly fine for me. Like I don't even need an apartment, so I gave up my apartment. And then I was like, I don't need fancy food. So I just started to buy like cheap pasta and tomato sauce and I just ate that for like two months. And, uh, And I loved every second of it. I was like, I'm now, earning my way to an alternative career and I'm not spending anything, you know, like I I would go out and party with friends. I wouldn't buy a single thing, you know, and like, I just, just couldn't afford it. Like I had no money to, to, to spare. Um, I would walk home instead of Ubering, even in the cold Canadian winter. Uh, Like I just did everything I could to save every dollar because I wanted it to be dedicated to trying this new career. And I also wanted to make sure that I'd have to spend as few hours as possible working in this like part-time job. Um, so that's how I arrived at that and then for my my personal purpose in storytelling I'm actually asking myself a lot of questions right now around like where do I want to go you know I think for a while when we started there was like a drive to just survive there was like how do we just get to a point where YouTube can pay our bills and so it was just like let's come up with fun ideas that fit like the yes theory message that involve our community and then we were just filming so many different things and now we've arrived at a point where like okay 
YouTube is our, now our life, it's our job. How do we, where do we want to go from here? How do we reinvigorate purpose in our work? Um, none of us are driven by like numbers, you know, like getting more subscribers is not a fulfilling endeavor unless like you feel like it's increasing the impact that you have on people's lives. And so at this point, I've been at a, this year like really, really challenged me to ask myself like, who do I want to become personally? And what kind of stories do I want to be contributing to the world? Um, we had a whole plan set up at the start of the year. It was the first time where we had the, the next three to six months basically planned out. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was like my mission within Yes Theory was to like get us organized. And then in March, we had to cancel everything. And like six months of preparation, of planning, of brainstorming. Of, we had even bought plane tickets to all these places. Like everything got just slashed. And I just, like, I got so, like, just demoralized by all of it. Um, I think the complete loss of control took me com by surprise. And I had to face, like, my fear of not having control over an outcome. Like, I learned in school that if I just do things methodically... Equals. Equals this. And now I'm like, I feel like I did everything right. And this thing that's completely out of my control came and canceled all of it, it just created this paranoia of like, what else am I not thinking about? As I said, I'm a very like strategic person. And so to a fault sometimes, I'm trying to predict the unpredictable. Mm. And uh, yeah, I just arrived at a point where as we restructured all of our videos, we had to start from scratch with coming up with new ideas. Uh, we all were kind of cornered into thinking about like what, what does each of us really care about in the videos? And Matt, Omar, and I had a year of just having to figure that out for each of us and then having to figure it out as a group. And we had to kind of like stop for the first time in years because we've been like, just go, 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 go for like five years straight. Wow. And then now we're like, we have to actually pause everything and start from scratch and figuring out where we want to go. And uh, partially that got me to ask myself, where do I want to go? And uh, one of the missions that I felt very connected to was to go to places like Iraq and Afghanistan that are largely getting one story told about them and seeing if there's something else happening. And I went and I absolutely saw that, you know, and I had a feeling, I had that gut feeling of like, I feel like I'm going to find some amazing stories here. Um, and I went and I hope that the videos will be very purposeful and, and, and kind of bring that life to people. Because mm. I think, especially these days, with the, I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, but with the news being very like, you know, catastrophical and like there's a lot of headlines that want you to click. Uh, we call our purpose in our videos, hide the vegetables. So it's like on the outside, the videos look like you know, oh, going to Afghanistan, you know, like danger, whatever. And then you click on it and there's going to be a very wholesome story inside of it that at the end of the day, give you em empathy to this part of the world hmm. rather than fear. Because I think with fear, we're all crippled and we're all just like afraid of each other. And it's like, oh, these people are like that and we're like this. And I think tribalism is, is a scary thing. And I want people to remember that we're at the end of the day, we're a worldwide family. And if we can just remember that and also agree to disagree in certain instances, I think we're just going to be able to come together to solve problems so much more efficiently 
than if we keep being feeling like these people are that way and we're this way and there's no way we're ever going to come to an agreement or yeah. be able to like each other. And so, yeah, I don't really know why. I think it's just kind of feeling frustrated with the lack of positivity. You feel uh, it's a responsibility on you to balance the negativity? Bit. Yeah. I think it's... I think for... I. I had a moment during COVID where I was like, why is nobody, why is nobody like contributing to making us feel like giving us one side of like, what's a positive thing here? You know, mm. how can we feel hopeful about the future? And then I just reached a point where like, instead of searching for a solution, why don't I go create what I want to see? You know, why don't I become the storyteller that I wish I could find? Mm. And, um, that's became like an exciting challenge where I was like, okay, like what do I really want to see? And let me go make that. You know, let, let me go tell those stories, even if they're different from what Yes Theory is kind of done in the past. This is actually a way for us to evolve as well. If each of us start to think about how do we want to grow as storytellers. And mm. uh, yeah, I'm still honestly piecing it together. It's an ongoing journey. Yeah, it is. Know? But so. uh, like I'm... F- Look, like Thomas, you have a very clear mind. Mm. You have a clear mind, which is a blessing. Mm. Some people don't have clear minds. Even when you talk to them, they lose track or their mind goes different places. And I don't mean it in a negative or or a positive way, but also having a clear mind is a positive thing because you think clearly, you know where you're going. Also, I think you're very brave. I saw your video uh, announcing that you're leaving the US and I'm like this guy has courage because he's okay with being vulnerable mm. and you know how many people associate vulnerability with weakness when it is literally the opposite mm. to be out there and to express fear or doubt or insecurity take something it's not the easy way is to shell it out oh, everything's fine mm. everything's good so I found that video revealing mm. one that you're a brave man that you have courage that you're okay with vulnerability, and that although you have, you've established comfort, friendships, a profitable business, you still thought, this is not for me now, and I'm going to make a decision that I don't know what the outcome is, but you know what, I'm gonna try. Yeah. I wanna go back and be around my family. Yeah. So I found that very interesting, that that superseded Everything somebody told you, why are you leaving? Like, everything is okay now. You're not hopping off sofas anymore. Why? And people will not understand. And some family members won't understand, some friends, maybe partners. They might not get it, but you know enough to know that you needed to. Mm. So what, what do you say about this, this thing that happened recently? Oh, yeah. I appreciate you saying that. Um, I think it's funny because I never... Historically, like, I don't look at myself as, like, somebody, like, brave is not something, it's not, a, like, a quality that I give myself a lot of the time. You better tattoo it on yourself now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because I look back at a lot of moments where I've had to make difficult decisions hmm. uh, that were very true to me and that were scary. Um, but every time I feel like I've actually committed, even though it was very stressful for me because it caused conflict. And as I said earlier, like, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like being in a position where 
you know, people are upset at me or like maybe don't understand my decision. Um, and so I, I, I try my best to make sure that I align my decisions with where I see myself wanting to go in the future. And mm. so the way that I think about it is, I don't know if you've heard of Jeff Bezos, he called it like the regret minimization framework. So no. it's like he pictures, every time he's got a really difficult decision to make, he pictures himself at 80, uh, looking back in his life. Mm. You've probably heard of this kind of mm. way of thinking. Yes. And then he pictures himself today, and then basically at 80, um, and then he asks himself, will I regret making this decision or not making this decision? And if the answer is yes, then he knows he has to do it. Mm. And there's moments in time like that when I feel like I'm faced with a hard decision where I like close my eyes and I picture myself being older, being able to look back at my life and uh, making this decision. And uh, it, it makes that gut feeling, it helps me connect with that gut feeling that disconnects me from the noise around me of like, okay, it might upset these people you know, it's going to cause these logistical problems. Besides that, do I, is this what I really want? And uh, it, it's just given me clarity in, in those moments. And going home and leaving was just this thing that I felt like I needed to do, but I knew it was going to be tricky for the team. I just moved into a new apartment with my girlfriend. And I know that telling her that I'm trying to leave was not going to be, you know, the best way, like to start this new apartment life. And then, uh, and then obviously with the visa situation, not knowing when I was gonna come back, it's like, okay, this is tricky. Um, but I just had that feeling of like, I think leaving is, is the best thing. And it's gonna also drive me to wanna over deliver in terms of making sure that I film my, my part of the work. Like I didn't wanna drop the ball on the team. So, I'm now filming more probably than I would have if I was at home. Yeah. And now you have more content. Well, exactly. Because we're filming in two places now. Yeah. yeah. So overall, like it's it's turning out to be a total like net positive uh, other than like, you know, the apartment and things like that. Like things get sorted in the end. True. Um, and I'm just like really happy to... Family is really important to you, right? I mean, uh, part of the research I got, I got... Uh, pictures sent to me mm. of your Instagram like 300 weeks ago. Mm. Like, okay, that's good research. Anyways, yeah. but it was like pictures of you and your cousins, you and your mom, you and your dad. So it gives you a sense that uh, with Thomas's history till now, that's an integral part of his life. And maybe in the last few years, that um, do- family dose has been re- reduced and you just realize that now that the noise has gone as you described. Yeah. Is that true? Totally. Yeah. Because I, I just had this feeling more and more being so far away and being like nine hour time difference between Los Angeles and Paris is really bad. Like it's, it's a very tricky time difference to actually even get on a phone call together. There's like a small window of time where we're both kind of free. And usually it's when I'm at lunch, you know, so it's, it's tricky. And um, more and more, I've just like during quarantine, my entire family quarantine together except for me I was in the US and uh, you know I would FaceTime them when they were at dinner and and I had a lot of FOMO and I was like damn I'm like you know all of them got to spend so much time together now uh, and I was the only one that wasn't there there was like a a strong feeling of like missing each other and I couldn't I couldn't leave mm. um, so yeah more and more I just I've been thinking about it 
and I've been questioning my own assumption of the fact that I need to be in Los Angeles all the time because uh, there is a need for me to be there. But is there a need for me to be there the whole year? All, oh, yeah, the whole year. Like, could there be a portion of the year where I'm in Europe? Absolutely. And I can go where know, the weather is good. Yeah, exactly. Although LA is usually good in general, but yeah. No, but you yeah, can go totally. To other places. Like, can I, you know, can I alternate? Yeah. Between and that's the two. how the world is. I know so many people that have two residences totally. and they'll go like six months here, six months there, three months. Like the yeah. world has become a village. Yeah. And it comes back to the question of why not? Why not? Right? Of like, like how? You try. Yeah. Or how could this happen? How could we make this work? Yeah. And uh, at the end of the day, there's several people within Yes Theory that would love to spend more time in Europe. Um, there's a few of us that have like European backgrounds or family in Europe. And so it's like, why couldn't we set up a Yes Theory office somewhere in the smack in the middle of Europe mm. that allows us to be in both places? And uh, storytelling wise, like we've made a lot of videos in the US, which is great. Yeah. Uh, but we feel more inspired by the rest of the world at this point. Uh, you know, we filmed a lot in America, which is great. But there's a lot of ideas that we have in Europe, in Asia. Never, I've only been to Egypt in the whole continent of Africa. So so many countries that I want to see and, and learn from and explore. Mm. Um, and you're much closer to all of these places when you're in Europe. Mm. Uh, so it's just, it's an exciting thing to like, when you start, when you land on something that you're, has been an assumption for so long and you question it, it's both a scary thing, but it's also an exciting mm. opportunity to think about what are the possibilities Absolutely. with this. And yeah. uh, I think it's just like growth, right? Mm. Like when you realize that there's a part of you, there's an assumption that you've made that maybe wasn't correct. And you now have the opportunity to at least question it, right? You might come back to like, you know what? I've thought about it yeah, now. And I'll it's go better back to, to the States, yeah. yeah, or something. Exactly. It's but fine. at least considering it is an exciting thing because it's like, okay, maybe we can optimize things a little bit. Correct. And maybe this can create an interesting story for Yes Theory. Okay, we're now expanding into Europe. You know, that's, an, that's a part of the narrative as well mm. that you can It's a very build, good growth. I think it's a great decision. Yeah. Me. So it, it's, uh, with Corona, it's like limited more possibilities and like it's, it's made everything more complicated. But I hope that, you know, by next year, we can actually start thinking about these things in a way that would make sense strategically and allow even our American employees to potentially come out to Europe and edit out of there for a little bit or, you know, just allow motion. Why not? Uh, no, exactly. Why not? Um, you know, I was going to, one of my questions, but I think you kind of answered it was, what did you learn from the Corona phase? Mm. And uh, something that my friend told me that he learned reminded me of you now, what you just said. He said that in Dubai, because life is busy, Mm. Uh, you have your cinema friends, you have your clubbing friends, you have your uh, dinner friends, right? And you're always busy. Mm. So you're always distracted. Mm. He said, when I was stuck at home, it made me realize who I actually want to check on and say hi and how's things going. Because mm. you're not calling to say, by the way, party, blah, 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 cinema. You don't have a reason or an excuse or an entertainment mm. to mm. do with that person. Yeah. So it becomes extremely purely focused on, hey, Tom, mm. you okay? Yeah. How's things? What did you do today? Did you watch that Netflix thing? It becomes very human. You right. actually care. So he's like, it's filtered this many friends to whoop. Mm. And I think for you, it became like my family's bonding. Mm. And I miss that. Mm. I want to remember and feel and hug. Yeah. and Absolutely. Maybe that's the biggest learning. 
Totally. Okay, hypothetical question. Hit me. If you have enough money for 500 years of stability, yep. very comfortable living with one rule, one yep. condition, is that you have to choose a job. Okay. What job would you choose? Can it be what I'm doing right now? Can. Yeah. So I, you I are on, that. you feel your own point now. Yeah. This is you. Yeah. Mm. Directing. I, I would like to eventually get into long form and one day I, I would like to write and direct my own feature. Mm. But filmmaking in general, the, the beauty of YouTube is that there's no red tape. I don't have, I don't need executives in Hollywood to fund it. I don't need to, you know, it's just whatever I do. Yeah, exactly. You guys set this up, you run your show, you decide. The way you want it, yeah. So I wonder if, you know, I'm waiting for that point. Uh, I feel like I have so many stories, real stories in the world that I want to tell before. Um, But to me, doing something that involves travel and creativity and positive impact is what I wrote down when I graduated uh, college that I wanted to do. Mm. And uh, so this is kind of tied to the story. So basically, like when I graduated, I asked myself, okay, imagine I'm 21. I'm picturing myself at 30. What do I want want my 20s to look like? And I wrote down travel, creativity, and positive impact. And then I wrote down all the jobs that I could think of that involved those things. So it was like, okay, teaching English abroad, journalism, but I'm, I'm not an amazing writer, but maybe, you know, I can talk someone into letting me be a journalist, um, consultant, blah, blah, blah. And then making YouTube videos ended up in the list. And then out of all of those, I asked myself if risk wasn't a question. So basically what you said about stability hmm. uh, and I could do anything, any of these, uh, which one would I choose? And honestly, I was surprised, but I was like, if I could succeed no matter what, making videos is what I'd want to do. And that was the moment that I decided like, okay, this is what I need. This is mm. what I should pursue. Nice. Um, and that's why like when you ask that question, like I'm actually very lucky that I feel connected to, to that, we to are, that answer. For sure. um, what are you afraid of? What am I afraid of? Hmm. A simple fear is, uh, you know, a visual one that we've highlighted enough in the videos is I'm not a huge fan of heights. Um, Mm. But a more psychological one, I, I do fear that the world won't be able to come together and like as a as a collective solve the problems that will allow us to create a world that gives space for everyone to be the person that they want to be and uh seeing feeling with that there's more and more people that are on like more extreme versions of at least online it feels that way in yeah. terms of their opinions um um, yeah, I guess I'm afraid of conflict. I'm afraid that more people are not going to be able to see eye to eye and think that they're both insane and then we won't be able to like come together and actually discuss, which I think is so well, at important. At least you're doing something about it. Trying to. A personal question. Yeah. Have you ever witnessed a lot or a major conflict between your parents when you were young? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And how young were you? It, like probably like eight or nine. Hmm. Yeah. And you obviously didn't like that feeling. No. 
Mm. Yeah, it's just when you're a kid, it feels like so out of your control, right? You're like, you just want them to get along. And like, maybe there's a portion of it that comes from that. Um, yeah, I just thought of it and I, I just connected two things. Uh, that emotion has created a very anti-conflict driven human. Mm-hmm. You know, that you don't want people to feel uh, conflict like you did, even if it was minute, min- medium. You don't want that feeling. And that's not a good feeling for human beings to feel. Mm-hmm. So how can I reduce conflicts as much as possible with a fire extinguisher or with the opening minds? And the other thing that you just made me think about, wait, I need to get not forget it. Uh, <sighs> what did you say? You said... Um, ah. I was talking about fear of conflict and then we talked about my childhood. There was another point. Not wanting other people. No, you, when, I, you, and when you answered the... Um, the ah, thank God I got it. My mind still works. <laughs> um, helplessness. Mm. That's why it really bothered you in the corona phase. Mm. Because you do, nobody likes to feel helpless. Especially if you're a control freakish, freaky one of them at a certain it's a spectrum i think yeah. i'm a bit of that and when we are so diligent and so composed and so disciplined and we're usually it's like the equals it's a very engineering uh equals this right yeah and then you get that nice curveball that is completely out of control you don't like it i don't like it right especially if you can't do anything about it because we're used to doing something about it totally i'll create a video i'll call somebody i'll so the corona thing it also makes you feel helpless. Mm. So it's like a wake-up call. Mm. So those are the two things. You're dissecting my mind right now. No, but I think We're you're both. hitting the nail on the head. Yeah, I think you, mm. you're right. So, What's the best moment in your life? Best moment in my life. Hmm. hmm. So it's so hard to, to choose, but there's... Uh, there was a moment that was very wholesome for me, which was, um, again, like I'm very lucky to have a lot of great moments. Um, but there was, I was able to uh, get my parents to attend the jump with Will Smith. And I got to see my parents meeting him and getting photos. And my mom became really good friends with his mom. And they had oh. dinner together and they sat next to each other on like Will Smith's 50th birthday. Mm. And... Uh, it was just such an amazing feeling to have been able to bring my parents to that event. Because uh, I just could feel they were just like so out of their element. You know, we're like on a movie set. But mm. also they were just so proud of me. And then we're there celebrating all together. And I saw my best friend jump out of a helicopter, you know, with Will Smith. It was just such a, wow, like, like. Two years ago, we were on like a couch eating instant noodles. Yeah. yeah. It was just so surreal. Like how, and it also gave me like so much excitement for the power of the internet. Like at what point in history could you have done something like this with a movie star not having connections in Hollywood or whatever, right? Mm. We literally just put up the challenge on the internet. It's like a, a fully, it's like the internet at its best capacity, bridging the gap of, you know, movie superstar with just... A YouTube channel and then 
showing that these things can coexist. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, it's, it was just such a great moment that I felt very proud of. And I was very worried because a lot of people were like asking me like, what if you guys become the guys that killed Will Smith? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh shit, <laughs> what happens if yeah. something happens? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's also had such relief when they both landed safely. Uh, yeah. And then we were just all be able to celebrate and it was very relaxed. Like everyone put the cameras down and everyone was just hanging out. Mm. Uh, just felt like a very, very good moment. Uh, What about uh, the worst moment? Worst moment. Um, There was, there, there's a couple of moments that I'm, I'm thinking about. One was when we were starting, when I basically committed to videos, even though there was like no financial plan or <laughs> it was just, you know, what, what I'm doing now. Uh, I had a, uh, a moment where both my parents were very upset. Uh, I also like didn't do a great job communicating with them that I, like I was being strategic. It just looked like I was just Random. messing around, like making videos, like, you know, posting things on the internet, like without a plan. But behind the scenes, we were, they hadn't met a Matt and Amar yet. So they didn't know, like on camera, we're very goofy and all of that stuff. And we are like that off camera too, but we're also strategic. Like we, we're all entrepreneurs at heart and we weren't just trying to do a passion project. We were very serious about like, how do we make this work? And there was a lot of urgency and we worked a lot very late into the night and uh, just being together it felt like there's no way this is going to fail mm. like this we're such a strong engine uh, like when we closed the door of the bedroom and we're all like plugged in like it just felt we felt unstoppable so i didn't do a good job at fully explaining myself because i didn't feel like i had to i was like i'm paying for everything myself like i don't need to explain um and we had some There was a specific moment where I didn't really speak to them for a month um, when we were starting off. And um, luckily right after we had like a video go viral and then we had people in Hollywood contact us. They work for Snapchat and they, they're the ones that ended up flying us out to move to Los Angeles. They got us visas. They paid us to start making videos and everything like changed after that. Mm. Um, but there was a period of time there in between In between it looking like, oh, he's just doing something fun during the summer. And, oh, you know, they're going to Los Angeles. There was like four months in between that of like, what's the plan here? You know, and the plan was like hoping that something good happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was like, you, you know, I can understand, you know, the, the yeah. fear because it's like, is YouTube even a career? Like, you know, can you make money on YouTube? Like, what is this? You know, mm -hmm. what are you thinking you're doing? Yeah. Like. And uh, I knew that all of these things were possible. Like people have made a living. Um, I, I obviously didn't know how to get there because I'd never done it before. There's no manual, like here's how to succeed on YouTube. Like you have to just do it and do mm. it your, your way and see if it works. Mm. So that was, that was scary. And then another moment that was really difficult as a friend was um, Amar had a lot of issues with, with his dad. Um, he grew up in Egypt, in like the suburbs of Egypt. So making YouTube videos instead of pursuing like a traditional career is like... For an Arab family insane. or Asian. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, what are you... And he was the 
first in his family to get a Fulbright scholarship like in, in North America and like he was set to be, he was like the golden child, you know, and then now he's doing YouTube videos. Like, are you insane? And um, he hasn't really talked to his dad in like two years. Um, for the first time they talked a couple of weeks ago for a minute on the phone. Mm. But I had to witness him making the decision between uh, this and his relationship with his dad. Um, and it's one of those situations, like, as a friend, you're like, like you, I can't, like, I'm not going to try to convince you either way. Like, you have to do what you feel is right for you, and I'll support you whatever you choose. Um, and we we still feel the whiplash of that every day with, um, obviously, him missing his family, missing the connection. You know, he talks to his siblings and his mom, but... He also misses talking to his dad. Mm. Um, yeah, that was just like a very emotional moment. And it was like, just didn't, we were there for him as a friend, but it all felt so foreign. And a part of me felt very guilty and responsible because I'm like, I dragged him into this. Like, what am I doing here? You know, is this, is this the best? Should he do this? You know, and yeah. I obviously saw the joy that he had and the connection that he felt in the work. And, like, you know, it felt undeniable that he was in the right place. But a part of me still felt a little bit mm. guilty in that moment of like, what kind of conflict am I causing here, you know? And um, th- there's no ounce of regret that he's experienced. Like, he still feels like he's in the right place doing the right thing. But uh, the the sadness and the and the, yeah, I guess the sadness from it is still felt like would within him and within the team because obviously we're all connected and we all communicate mm. all the time. You have to make a point, Thomas, I think in your next, uh, in the current journey and moving forward. Uh, I don't mean it as a guy who, maybe I know, don't know better, but I'll just say because it's on my mind. Yeah. I feel it will help you a lot. Mm. It's, it's really beautiful that you empathize and you feel a sense of responsibility to fix things because that's a big driver for you. But also with a lot of conflicts, you have to not disconnect, stand on the side because that adult, whether it's our parents fighting or a friend making a career decision, we have to, although we want to like, hey, can I help? Or I want to help. Sometimes it's actually helping by not getting involved Mm. emotionally and physically. Mm. So with your friend Ammar, It's his decision and he has to make that decision and you have to, like you said, exactly what you said, I will stand with him without whatever purpose he chooses and don't feel guilty. And then he's an adult. He has to make a choice. Uh, I think the more you will be aware of this, Mm. the more it will help you. Yeah. Because it can can keep you. What would you call, last two. Yeah. Oh, good. What would you call this chapter in your life? This chapter in my life. I guess it's like a renewed self-discovery hmm. in a way. We're questioning previous assumptions. Nice. Like I think I, I, every couple of years I have one of those moments where I need to like check in with all of my current assumptions about the way I live my life and just check in and see like, is this the way I want it? Is this the way I want it? Hmm. Like how can all of these different elements kind of work yeah. better together? And uh 
just feeling aligned. Um, yeah, you calibrate. Recalibrate. Yeah. Nice. Totally. Last yeah. one. Yeah. Thomas in one word. Thomas in one word. Hmm. That's that's difficult. I like the word curious. We'll take that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you and us. This was great. Appreciate it. You're great at what you do, man. It's my This was one of the best interviews I've ever done. I'm glad to.